everyone, how are you doing today? Tilly here. I'm your host today for the Remote Work Show, and I'm also the CEO of Trackly, who is bringing you this show. So today I'm talking to Nick Francis. He's the co-founder and CEO of Help Scout. Uh, he's a really cool guy. He's a really interesting guy, and I think you will learn a lot from him and from today's conversation. So Help Scout are a fully remote team, and we work with a team of 75 people, which are really distributed all around the world. So I'm really fascinated and enjoy talking to people who have a really big teams because it's really different if you're running a 10 people team and a 75 people team. Now you'll learn the following things in today's conversation. So you'll learn number one, how being a remote company gives them hiring advantages and hearing more from Nick on their whole hiring process, which is really interesting. Number two, you'll learn how they instill their company culture in the remote environment. You'll learn number three, how they actually scaled from 25 to 75 people. You'll learn about it in a very smooth way without much frictions due to their uh, remote environment. You'll learn number four, Nick's advice for SaaS founders and much more. I hope you enjoy. Nick, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I thought we can start by you sharing more about yourself, uh, maybe introduce yourself. I mean, who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, so you're getting the full remote mode version of Nick. This is pre-shower working from home, so uh, this, is, <laughs> this is perfect for a remote podcast, I think. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Help Scout. Uh, we make customer support software for 8,000 businesses all over the world. And uh, I really love it. We've been doing that for seven years. We have a remote team of 75 people in more than 50 cities all around the world. I'm based in Boulder, Colorado, where we have a few people. But uh, yeah, definitely working from home today and happy to be with you. (laughs) So you're all 100% remote? Yes. Yeah, we do have a couple of offices. Uh, We do have one here in Boulder that I'm going to go to later this afternoon, but it's, it's it's just kind of a like a shared co-working space really because uh, we just have a concentration of people in Boston and then we have rough like four or five people in this area as well so when there's more than four or five people we'll just offer to get a little office instead of co-working desks. So anytime you have more than five people you get like a co-located office in that city so anyone can choose to hang out together or do it in home? Yeah if those people want it uh, essentially, but we don't, we don't really have very many concentrations of people in the same city. So it doesn't happen often. Do you find actually when you like right now, when you have an office, people end up going there or they end up working from home, like in such a scenario? Uh, I'd say most of the time people are spending maybe two days a week in the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I actually go into the office a lot more just cause I like to, to go into a, an office, but, uh, yeah, for most people, they either will go into a co-working space uh, re- relatively often, or I know our two offices in Boston and Boulder are pretty, uh, pretty sparse. I was the only one in there yesterday. <laughs> so why did you decide, I guess, maybe I'll take a step back. Why did you decide to go all remote? Uh, was there any specific reasons why you went this path? Well, I've been working with my co-founders for a lot longer than just Help Scout. I've been working with them for almost 14 years, and we had done remote before, and not only that, but even pre-Help Scout, we were really inspired by a lot of companies that were <coughs> working remotely. So Basecamp being kind of the, the ones that wrote the book on this yeah. whole thing. Uh, but The first ones, like more or less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they inspired the way that we thought about a lot of things, not just remote. Uh, but yeah, it was something that when we started Help Scout, we, we already felt really comfortable with that way of working. 
And it was immediately clear to me that we needed every advantage that we could get. And I felt like we could, uh, we could acquire better talent when, uh, if we opened ourselves up to not just a 20 mile radius, but pretty much all of planet earth. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was, I was comfortable with remote. I knew that there were going to be some trade-offs that we had to be aware of and that we had to design the culture around. But if we were able to do that, I felt like we'd have a, a massive advantage in terms of talent. And that's certainly the way it's played out. Are you looking for specific cities? Because you mentioned you have people from 50 cities or are you just really looking purely on the talent when you're hiring and really doesn't matter where the person is? We want to hire the most qualified, skilled people possible. There are a couple of exceptions. We try to make sure that everybody has four hours of overlap uh, with with the people that they would be working with the most. And so uh, that is something that we just try to be mindful of and have a conversation Mm -hmm. about. Sometimes it comes up. Otherwise, there are times like on our support team where we want to have 24-hour coverage. We'll typically hire for a time zone range. So right now we have a higher open in Europe. We have a higher open in the U.S. And we try to uh, staff that a little bit more according to certain hours and time slots that we want to fill. But otherwise, it's wide open. Uh, when I was doing some of my homework, actually, just before today's conversation, I, I noticed that you said that one of the biggest mistakes early on with Help Scout was actually hiring, which I guess we started talking just about people in general. You mentioned hiring is maybe the number one factor that can determine the future success of a company. I know many, many CEOs and companies really save it. So I thought this can be really interested to hear more about your perspective about hiring as we kind of start talking about people. As you're hiring remotely, I mean, what are you looking for when you're hiring remotely besides, I guess, talent and really being able to be able to like perform the job pretty well? Yeah. So I just did a talk on this. So I've got some data that's pretty fresh. <laughs> uh, fresh data is good. From the, and, and, and just as a, as a preface, Jared, Denny and myself, the three founders had never hired anybody before going into starting Help Scout. So, Before Help Scout. Yeah, yeah zero, zero experience doing that. So mm-hmm. when we started the company in 2011 through 2014, so roughly a four-year period, we hired 17 people and we ended up letting go of those. <laughs> uh, really bad track record, right? But then if you look at beginning of 2015 to the present, we've hired 75 people and we've let go 13. Uh, so we've- That's better really able to get much better at hiring. Uh, and I think uh, the, the one key is, well, first of all, we just invested a lot in our hiring process and we realized that making gut decisions was really dumb. And we decided to put a lot more thought into our hiring process and I could dig into that. But in terms of what we're looking for in somebody, it really comes down to, in a remote culture, I do think you want to, uh, focus on people with a track lo- track record of excellence and a passion for the a particular craft. So somebody that's further along in their career. Um, unfortunately, we're not really able to hire what I would think of as an aspirational candidate. So somebody that's fresh out of school or doing uh, a specific craft for the first time in their career. Remote is just not the right environment in which they're going to learn at the velocity they need to learn uh, and progress uh, at the velocity they need to progress. So uh, we've focused on people that have been doing this a while, who are kind of senior level uh, skills and experience. And 
by way of doing that, uh, of course, we're, I'd like to think of us as a very collaborative team, but somebody's able to get four to six hours of really productive focused work done over the course of a day without really needing a whole lot of oversight or management. And that's become really critical to us as a team. So just being able to not hire uh, more aspirational candidates, focus on people that are uh, a bit more qualified in terms of their skills and experience, that's really made a big difference. Do you think it helped your company to get A players, I guess, who have more experience as opposed to aspirational? Uh, Do you think it just helped you progress faster, really perform better as a team slash company? Yeah, hundred percent. I just think in a remote environment, it's really hard to uh, for a, a, one of those more aspirational candidates to fulfill their potential, right? To to learn the craft and at such a speed that they uh, that they'll just do their best work. I just don't think it's really uh, possible. At least we haven't figured it out yet. I think it maybe a certain scale it may be possible, but another benefit of hiring the best people that you can is that I'm, you know, uh, one of the early hiring lessons I had is if I wanted to, um, get rid of my micromanager tendencies, then I should just hire people that are better than me at that mm. particular craft. That's good. Right. Yeah. So if you're hiring people so that are sure. better than you, uh, then it's really easy to trust them at, with the work. And so I became sort of obsessed with hiring people better than me. And, and that became the culture at Help Scout is, Every time we, we make a new hire, it's like, okay, your job is to hire somebody better than you. <laughs> and, uh, it, and the bar continues to be raised, which is a really exciting thing. And so no matter which room I'm in, I feel like I'm surrounded by people that are much better than me at, at a lot of specific things. And that's energizing, you know, as an entrepreneur, so, like that's, what, that's yeah. what I love most is, is learning at a high velocity. And I get to do that around really smart people every day. So that's been kind of a benefit of just going all in on, on senior level folks is just uh, being able to, to work at a level and work with, with people that, that are really inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah, I really agree with this. Um, do you find there are specific roles which are more challenging to hire remotely or do you think it's pretty much the same all across the board? Uh, you know, when you're, when you're hiring that senior level talent, I don't think that there's a real challenge. I mean, generally the way people think of it is, you know, product and engineering is really easy to do. And even support is pretty, pretty easy to do remotely. I mean, the whole open source community is a big remote working (laughs) group. Uh, so everybody knows how to work remotely and in those channels, uh, you know, a lot of people like to say that sales can't really be done remotely. I think we've proven that one wrong. Do you, Again, by just your hiring. sales team is also remotely? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all the sales folks that we have are remote. And again, when you hire those kind of senior level folks that have been in sales for a while, they've been doing this for a while, it's just so much easier for them to, to be off and running. Now, there are things that pro- like where proximity matters, like in, with sales in particular, they learn from each other, right? Like they learn from each other, uh, what they're learning about the product, different tactics they're using, uh, they're competitive. You know, there are cases in which I understand why people like to have a sales team in the same room, but we've been able to to create that same environment uh, remotely. You just have to to work at it. So all of our teams are really successful working remotely and, and we wouldn't want to put any of them in an office. 
Yeah, that's a great example. I rarely see sales teams specifically working remotely. Uh, most companies I talk to which are remote, I, I notice they don't really have many salespeople. If they do, they just fly a lot. Um, so it's interesting you're making it work. I, I would love to see more examples of this, I guess, uh, out for, for remote companies. Yeah, we've been like we've been very thoughtful about sales at Help Scout. I mean, we didn't do sales at Help Scout for the first four years of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, only in the last two years have we methodically figured out a sales playbook that not only aligns with our values, but it works really well. And I'd say for the last uh, nine months, sales has really been working at Help Scout, and so we've taken the team from one to now, I think, six people. So uh, it's still relatively small, but we're being very thoughtful and intentional about how we structure that team, who, who we bring on to that team, and checking uh, all of the numbers to make sure it's working really well economically before we just scale. You know, like the typical startup company is like, oh, this is working. Let's hire 42 yeah. salespeople. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not how we think about it. That's cool. Um, so you mentioned in the beginning, I was still in the hiring topic, but you fired most of the people you hired. And I did read in your blog that actually talked about a specific way of firing remotely. Um, I'll be fully transparent. I'm very bad at firing myself as the guy who is hiring and firing, and I don't like it. I'm wondering if you just talk just a bit about it. What is the right way maybe to fire remotely, which you found is better than other ways, put it right yeah, if there's a silver lining to making all these mistakes, it's that I've learned how to let people go with grace. <laughs> uh, and it's, it, it never gets easier. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. But at the same time, I think we've developed a process that uh, is really compassionate for the other side. That in the end, you want to show compassion and grace for the other side. Because chances are, when you're letting somebody go, you got nobody to point at but yourself for getting to that point, right? Usually, usually it's not really the person's fault. You, you probably hired the wrong person who's not able to be at their best in your company. And so uh, we always go into it just like any customer relationship, right? Like trying to put ourselves in their shoes and create an experience for them that we know this is going to be a hard day. So we try to create an experience for them that, that minimizes the pain involved. And so uh, I did let somebody go really early on in the company over the phone, and I'll never, ever do it again. It's awful. Uh, you definitely want to do this face-to-face. And so that means a Zoom call just like we're using yeah. now. Um, you definitely want to want to say so face-to-face. There's this great clip from the movie Moneyball uh, where Brad Pitt teaches Jonah Hill how to let a player go. <laughs> uh, and it's perfect. It's It's absolutely perfect because you want it to be the first sentence out of your mouth. Hey, so-and-so, we have to part ways, uh, or, or today's going to be your last day at Help Scout. If you start off with that as the first thing, you say a couple sentences after, you know, I'm happy to, to stay here as long as you want to talk about it. But before we do that, we're going to go over what happens now. Because the moment you say something like that to somebody, they just have this reflex of, uh, wanting to protect themselves. Right. And so it's like, okay, what are you going to pay me? Like, how am I going to survive? Right. And so you really want to get into the details of we're going to take good care of you. These are, these are sort of the terms and conditions as we move forward. And, uh, and then you kind of just talk it through the, through with them. I mean, typically they won't want to talk about it, uh, or they might Mm -hmm. say nice things. And then a week later they'll be upset. Uh, 
but we try to uh, just give them the news really quickly and then get into the logistics of what they really care about. Like what's the severance going to be um, other sorts of details. Like what do I do with my laptop? What's going to happen to my accounts? Can I say goodbye to folks on, on Slack or whatever? Uh, so we, we completely focus on that side of it. So it, I don't think I've been part in a situation because we've always started out and it's decisions made. There's not one, uh, there's not an opening uh, for discussion. I've never been into, I've never gotten into a debate as to why the person was let go. Um, it just doesn't happen if you go about it the right way. And that's what you want to avoid is somebody that you basically walk in the room to let somebody go and you walk out of the room still on the team. <laughs> uh, that, ha- that happens more than you would like to know. So uh, it's, uh, it's something that you just want to be careful of. And then uh, a few days later, we have somebody on our people ops team uh, do an exit interview with them. And that's usually when they'll vent and, and when sort of the, the frustration comes out. But that's, that's fair. It's fair for them to feel that way. Cool. Thanks for sharing um, about the firing part. I thought I will, will change and move a bit to company culture a bit. I mean, I know company culture in general plays a large role in making sure everyone operates well, in delivering memorable customer experiences, which is really what you're doing for Help Scout. Uh, I guess my question is, how do you make sure people actually live by with culture day to day since everyone is remote and you don't see uh, people face to face? Other things you're doing to instill it or things which help you kind of just make sure people are more aligned with the culture in your company? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, of course it, it starts with the people. Uh, I'm only one of 75 now. And so my impact on the culture is, uh, is not as great as it used to be, but I'm, I'm deeply passionate about it. And, and, uh, I think we've just been able to instill a few specific values that are important. Uh, so of course we want to hire people that embody those values, but I don't really like it when people talk about culture fit because it's really easy to make culture fit like an excuse. You mean in the beginning, pre-hiring? Yeah, thing? even in the hiring process. Like when you mm-hmm. when people talk about culture fit, it, there's a really thin line between culture fit and just bias. <laughs> so it's hiring <laughs> people that are that that look and and talk like you, and so we we want to steer yeah. clear of that. Uh, but we have very clear values. So three core values that help scout are helpfulness ownership and excellence. And so uh, I could go very deep on those, but, but bottom line is we're trying to screen for uh, an embodiment of those three values. And uh, once somebody is on the team, uh, you know, something that is really nice about a co-located culture is that you do uh, develop relationships. You do have that water cooler where you get to know people and you build bonds just organically Whereas in a remote culture, we have to work hard to build those bonds. And so uh, in order to do that, we do things like team retreats. Uh, we do those twice a year. We do leadership offsites every quarter. So I'm seeing everybody on the leadership team every quarter uh, and spending time with them. Uh, and then we're just religious about one-on-ones. So on any given day, I'm still spending four to six hours on video calls, just like this one, talking with different people on our team uh, trying to develop those relationships. We're, we're very serious about one-on-ones and developing those, those relationships uh, and trying to help people along. But, you know, generally uh, in the way that we kind of talk about our product, the way that we write about our product, uh, it's, it's very clear uh, what we value. So we're all deeply passionate about making great stuff and about customer experience. 
everybody that works at Help Scout is like that. And so uh, it's pretty easy for us to, to galvanize around those, those principles and those things. And it's, it's, it's resulted in a really special culture. And I also think hiring for that excellence bar, hiring people that are really senior has, has just been such an inspiration culturally as well. That that's really, that's really fun. Awesome. You mentioned you spend still four to six hours a day one-on-ones, but that's a lot of time. And I mean, do you, what, what's the purpose of it? Is it just to build relationship because you're all remote? Do you act like as a coach sometimes, which a CEO does, or just to really help them progress faster? I mean, what, uh, since it's so much time, I'm just wondering what is yeah. your take on it? So I, I, I'm actually looking at my calendar now and I can tell you I'm in one-on-ones probably uh, two hours or uh, let's say three hours a day. I'm in one-on-ones. But you schedule I, them as well with the team members? Yes. Yeah, they're all scheduled. Uh, and then, so maybe three hours a day and then another two hours a day is strategic meetings. So it could be a meeting with four or five, six people, uh, but those are strategic. Uh, that just makes sense, yeah. Business forward. So the four to six hours is sort of a combination of one-on-one strategic meetings. And uh, anybody that's a coach, which we were, we refer to managers as coaches <laughs> at Help Scout, uh, anybody that's a coach at Help Scout is going to spend a lot of their time in meetings. It's really hard to be a coach in a remote culture. So there's a lot of time that you're spent on video, but being a player at Help Scout, which is what we call an individual contributor, is uh, pretty much meeting free. You might, I mean, you look at a, the calendar of any individual contributor on our team, and they've got maybe three hours of meetings per week. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, it's really designed to free up players to do their best work and to have really large focused blocks of time in which they can, they can, do, uh, they can do excellent stuff. I like it. Yeah, it's, I like the comparison to, I guess, uh, soccer, football, and sports, like the coaches and players, which is really the same. You want the players yeah. performing their best and, and doing what they're to do. Yeah, I like the metaphor for a number of reasons. I mean, one, people wear jerseys of players, not coaches. And <laughs> I think it's really important for us to keep that in mind. I mean, we want to be sort of a player's first culture, and we want everything that we do as coaches to to kind of lift them up and give them uh, credit, autonomy, ownership over over the success of the business. And secondly, you don't really. There's no such thing, at least in sports, as a player coach. Somebody that's that's usually no. both, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's true. In, that's very true. In in companies, you see, you see that all the time, where people are like, <laughs> yeah, the CEO always doing everything, or for example, right? Yeah, and then they're doing individual contributor work half the time. And frankly, in mm-hmm. my experience, I found that player coaches are never at their best. They're, they're, they're constantly context switching and they're just not able to do their best work when they're sharing. And so we've tried to make that distinction where somebody is a coach or they are a player at Help Scout so that they are dedicated and they're capable of their best work. I love his distinction. So you've been remotely from day one, if I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, how is it different running um, a remote team of 10 or 15 people versus a remote team of uh, 60, 75 uh, people, which is the level you are right now? So it's been really interesting. What I've observed is that I've got a lot of friends that run companies that are co-located. And what I've observed is that um, for us, 10, 15, 25 people was really challenging. We had to add a lot of infrastructure and kind of like, this is how we communicate. This is how we do certain things. 
we really had to be intentional about how the company works as a remote company at a very small, low level. Whereas a co-located culture doesn't really run into those sorts of communication challenges True. until they're like 40, 50, 60 people. It's much earlier, I guess, as you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and, and I found that it's actually much harder to turn the ship when you're at 40, 50, 60 people and change the way that you work. Whereas we're establishing this way of working really early on. And I'll be honest with you, from like 25 people to 75, we've had to make very few little micro adjustments to the culture in order to, to keep things working really smoothly. We've been able to scale the company really, it's been actually quite surprising how easily we've been able to grow the team. Cause uh, you know, a lot of the skeptics say that, oh, remote teams aren't gonna scale. I actually think they're so, they scale so much better than co-located teams. It's just that early on, I think it's easier for a co-located team uh, because you know you just have all these things that happen within an office and communication structures that uh, develop. But once you're yeah, once you're once you don't know everybody in the space, then communication totally breaks down, and a lot of companies have 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 trouble around that. Why do you think remote teams can scale better, which you mentioned in these European written collocated teams? Yeah, well, I have a lot of, so I'm originally from Boston. I have a bunch of uh, friends that run companies there. And that place, for instance, is super competitive hiring wise. And you get to the, the point where, not that you run out of talent. It's, <laughs> that's my dog, sorry. Yeah, don't not, worry that you, not that you run out of talent uh, in a specific locale like Boston, but I do think that limitation of needing to find people within a 20 mile radius that perfectly fit your culture and the skills that you need limits your hiring. Yeah. Like it just becomes much more challenging. I mean, HubSpot is a company in Boston that's like 1500 people, I don't, maybe 2000 people, but now they have offices all over the place uh, because it's, it's really hard to scale a culture that big. Uh, that's all kind of in one space, not to mention the office logistics and so on and so forth. So uh, I just think there's a number of things that become harder uh, for a co-located company because they, they're trying to preserve that initial co-located uh, feeling, whereas a remote team never has that to begin with. Uh, we, the, the structures that we put in place to communicate as a team scale really well. <laughs> just mm. the way that we have meetings, the way that we communicate over Slack or, or any other tools, those tools tend to scale very well. And so we just don't, don't run into a lot of the same challenges. I, I'm sure that we'll be able to scale from 75 to even 200 people and not run into a whole lot more challenges that we're unaware of. Um, are there specific tools which help you um, do what you do, like and really make sure everyone communicates well and just uh, make sure Help Scout runs uh, in the best way possible? So the, the most important tool that we use is Zoom, which is what we're using today. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a really critical way for us to communicate, not just one-on-one -on -one or not just to do meetings, but I do a town hall every two weeks where we just kind of talk to the whole business, whoever wants to come to the meeting at least, about uh, what's going on. And uh, we record that meeting so that our people in Australia who are just waking up several hours later can, can see it. So uh, that's a really important part of our culture. And we even have teams doing updates. Uh, month, like I ask that each team does like a monthly update to the rest of the team just to talk about what they're doing. And we typically use video for those. So we use video constantly uh, to kind of communicate as a team. So Wistia is another product that we love. And those are some of my good friends over there. Uh, but Slack, of course, is something that we depend on heavily. 
Um, and then we use Trello at a pretty awesome scale and uh, also Dropbox at a pretty awesome scale. And just in terms of Dropbox, uh, we I think it's important for anybody that's running a remote company, they know that you have to be really transparent with information. Uh, everybody needs to have access yeah. to the same information in order for remote to work. And so Dropbox is a really critical tool for us to, not only we use paper to collaborate on docs, but uh, we use Dropbox, the file sharing tool to actually just share everything from uh, monthly metrics to uh, our salary formula to all sorts of other employee onboarding docs. And so that's really important as well. Very cool. Um, do you think remote work is going to be a big part of the future uh, for your workforce in general? 100%. I'm biased. Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, right. I'm biased as well, but why do you think so? <laughs> you know, I've, I found that... Uh, so we... One thing that's been kind of surprising to me when I talk to other remote CEOs and such is they say that they don't like to hire people that haven't worked remotely before. Mm -hmm. And I... I don't understand that. Uh, you would never interview at a co-located place and they would ask if, if you have experience working co-located before. If you've got a good culture that uh, that is embracing the way of working is just part of it and, and the person that's interviewing for the role is excited about that way of working, who cares if they've done it before? Your culture should be able to accommodate that. So uh, probably 50% of the people we hire have never worked remotely before. And what we found is that they are able, they, they're blown away within the first month or two at the quality of work-life harmony that they're able to establish. You know, there's just a level of freedom and flexibility that exists in the remote way of working that cannot exist in a co-located culture. And until you experience it for yourself, you don't quite understand how magical it really is. I mean, I'm a good example right now. I'm working from my home office at the moment, I'm going to run some errands, I'm going to take my dog for a walk, and then I'm going to go into the office to finish my day. There's just a level of flexibility and harmony that it brings to your work life. And I think we, it, there's no argument that uh, the younger generations today really value that way of working and value that sort of flexibility. And so uh, I, I think that the way we work is, is evolving day by day and remote is, is really poised to, to, to be part of the future in a big way. So it's going to be a long-term transition. Maybe yeah. you and I will be long gone by the time. <laughs> no, nah, I think it will get for before. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, but, but right now I feel like we have a significant advantage just from a cultural standpoint, because we're be, we're able to provide people with a great job, but also a quality of work-life harmony that, that doesn't exist in many places for sure. I agree. Do, do you find that uh, because of this, less people leave? I don't know what exact term, like uh, because you're hiring more people are just staying long term because of those benefits? Yes, I'm glad you asked because I have more data from my recent talk. Data. So we've hired, data 90, yeah, we've hired 92 people in our entire history and five have left voluntarily, three of which were actually on some form of performance plan and we were kind of uh, bringing that relationship to an end anyway. So the retention has been phenomenal. I don't have any, I don't really have any access to data uh, around retention from other companies, but my general experience has led me to believe that retention is much, much higher in remote companies because of the, the, the work-life harmony that you're able to, to give people. I mean, we want people to spend their entire career 
at Help Scout. I know that's not really in vogue these days. People move around a lot more than they used to, but I want to I want to change that up a little bit because I love the people I work with. I want to give them a great job. I want to pay them well, and I give them a great quality of life. Why Why would they leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I interviewed many CEOs and what companies here, and I I don't have the data as well, but it seems like everyone is saying the same thing to me that when you have an established remote company, the retention is just so much higher partially because of the benefits you mentioned as well. Yeah, totally agree. And it's, it's really hard to find other companies that can replicate that. Other, those other companies do exist. There's a lot of fantastic remote cultures out there, but at least the ones I know of that I really admire, I could count on maybe my both hands. You know, there's not many. Yeah, I agree. So you're running Help Scout for a period of seven years. That's a decent period. You kind of scaled from zero to 75 people right now. Um, what advice would you give yourself if you would have to start over seven years ago, I guess? Or maybe you can translate the question is maybe any other advice you would give to other SaaS founders uh, starting and want to go around your company? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One, I think we've done quite a good job about being thoughtful about the culture from day one. And so there's not a whole lot I would do differently there. I, I mean, we've made mistakes along the way, sure, but I'm really proud of, of what exists today. And I wouldn't want a chance to go back and do it again for fear of messing it up. But I would want to be much more thoughtful about cultivating the team, right? I mentioned that we we made a lot of mistakes along the way. I just want to be really thoughtful about who is able to do their best work at Help Scout and how we're able to identify those people in a really thorough hiring process. Uh, so I would just be much more thoughtful about how we go about that early on in the company. It would have saved us a lot of pain. Maybe I wouldn't be as seasoned at letting people go, but I think I'd be more than okay with that. Um, <laughs> and another bit of advice I got from a friend early on was to uh, I've been married for 12 years. And so to, to treat my, my wife, my spouse, like a co-founder, you know, make sure that that person is, a, feels like they're part of the journey with you, because the truth is you're going to be putting in above and beyond hours. You're going to be putting your headspace is going to be mostly occupied with that company for a long period of time. And if they don't feel like part of the journey with you, then it's going to become a point of contention. So if you want to, you know, they say happy wife, happy life. Uh, <laughs> that's certainly run true for me. And so I've had to be really thoughtful about uh, making sure that, that my wife feels like she's part of the journey of, of that I'm on here with Help Scout. So uh, that's, that's made our relationship a lot easier over the years. Yeah. That's an amazing tip right there. Uh, thank you for this. Um, I have a productivity question, I guess. Since you have, I mean, 70 people, 75 people distributed all across, are you doing something to actually help them be more productive or are you just like trusting every member fully? They, they're the experts. They know how to do their job, how to manage their time. Is there something you're, you're doing in this area? I think we're just trying to cultivate a working environment where they can I talk a lot about, I've said it four or five times in this interview, doing yeah. your best work, right? So productivity is a mother skill, yeah. Yeah, predict, productivity to me means the ability to do your best work. So you walk away from work that day fired up about what you did. And, and there's very few work environments where you, where somebody can actually have that level, level of satisfaction yeah. with the work that they're That's doing. True. 
that sure. they're doing. So I'm much less focused on productivity than I am. I want this person to walk away every day feeling like, wow, I did the best work I was capable of and I'm getting better as, as I move along. That's, that's what it takes for a really high performer to be fulfilled for a long time at a, at a, at a, in a role. And so I'm really focused on that part. And I can't say that there's any one secret other than, you know, my background is user research. And so I'm just asking, what can we do to, to make your uh, work life better? What can we do to make sure that you're doing your best work? Do you feel like you're doing your best work? What can your coach uh, be doing? Do you think that person is pulling out your very best uh, on a daily basis? So I'm just asking these questions and making tiny little micro adjustments to policies, procedures, maybe the culture generally, our values to try and optimize for people doing their very best work. And so I, I don't really feel like I have a, a specific tactic top of mind other than being really dialed in with the, t- the people on the team, asking those hard questions and adjusting accordingly to make sure that uh, they're super happy and fulfilled in the work that they're doing. I love your approach. Um, which, which challenges you think of remote work in general haven't been solved yet out there and you think are still um, to be solved? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the most recent one, a lot of people would say that the water cooler, right? So developing relationships um, outside of work, uh, making it so that the team feels like they're really close knit. Um, you know, when you have the proximity of a co-located culture, it's kind of, it, that happens automatically. But I think we've done a lot of things to solve for that. Sure. Being sitting right next to you right now is not as good, but I'd say that it's 98% as good, uh, what we're able to do. <clears throat> so I think in a lot of different ways, we've, we've sort of solved for the water cooler challenge. Um, and, and people on our team are extremely close. Uh, there's very close friendships and bonds between them. So the one thing that I'm focused on is what it means to be a manager in, uh, in a remote team. And I've, I've realized only in the last six months that it's so much harder for a, a coach to excel because let me just give you an, an example of like a stand-up meeting in a colo culture that you're going to have a 15-minute stand-up meeting with everybody on your team. You just get in a room, you go around the room, and you know exactly what's going on with the team, what everybody's working on, and you move, you move, move on with your day. In our culture, we have people working around the clock, including while you're sleeping, giving asynchronous updates in Slack as to what their kind of stand-up status is. We have separate rooms for stand-up status for every team. And uh, as a coach, you have to be kind of constantly reading through that stream of information to be up to date. So uh, literally when you go to bed, you might be up to date. And when you wake up the next morning, you're not up to date on what's going on uh, in your team, in the company. So there's just a lot of information to digest and it takes more time. And uh, building the relationships, you have to be much more intentional. You can't just go grab a beer after work. So there's so many, there are so many dynamics when it comes to being a coach that I think are much more challenging. And I, I can't say that we've solved for them all yet. I think we've acknowledged that these challenges exist, but I don't know that we've perfectly solved for like what it means to be a great coach within a remote environment, especially with a team of this size. I think we still got some work to do. Got it. Got it. Um, I have another question. I, I'm 
looking going for help scott like for the research like it seems like the, your main competitors may be really big vc funded companies like intercorum drift uh, which are pretty popular out there i'm wondering which kind of positioning you take against such uh, big companies and how you're differentiating against them in such a big big market yeah so i did this on purpose i mean even before intercom and drift came along you know there was salesforce and there was zendesk yeah. and uh those were the guys that were that were in the market and they were the 800 pound gorillas even when we started the company and they still are. Uh, <clears throat> what we decided is that first of all, in the market, we I love entering a competitive market. I think it's great because you don't have to educate the market. What we decided to do was focus on a specific segment of that market that we didn't feel was being served. In our case, that's SMB, uh, companies up to 200 people. And we really wanted to laser focus our product on serving the needs of that segment because that's that's a segment that none of these none of the other products were were primarily focusing. focused on. And in terms of building that, so that's one thing, just focusing on the right segment of the market. But the second thing is, as a brand, you have to assume you're never going to be. <laughs> you have to go in with the assumption that they're always going to have more resources, more people and more brain power than you do, right? So knowing that I have to do things, I have to invest all of my time and resources into things that you can't write a check for. That's the only way to build a brand in a crowded space. And so we invested heavily in our content marketing strategy because you cannot write a check for that. You have to really hire a great team that knows what they're doing and is deeply passionate about that as part of the business model. So. Uh, we are very passionate about uh, customer experience and support, obviously, but we live those things. You emails our support, you're going to hear back in a couple of hours, uh, and you're going to get a level of, of service and helpfulness that I don't think you're going to find anywhere else. So essentially, we've invested in the people behind that, our product in, uh, in a very different way. I'm not going to, like, there's a lot of great people that work for all the companies you mentioned, but... Uh, I think we've just invested in things that we feel you can't just buy, right? Because anything you can buy, any sort of customer acquisition strategy, any other thing, like those folks will beat us. We just have to invest in those things that, that you can't write a check for. And that comes down to a, a lot of spe specific things related to the brand and, uh, and, and how we grow the business. So we've just tried to, to use a different playbook. The one that Zendesk and Salesforce used has been used uh, and they've done a great job at it. So we're going to, we're going to take a different approach. Got it. Got it. All right. We are coming to the end of the show. I thought we can wrap it up with a few Reptifier personal questions. Is this okay? You bet. Uh, so what's a fun or exciting thing you've done the last one or two weeks? Well, I live in Boulder, Colorado, so I go hiking almost every day uh, <laughs> with my dog. And so that's one of the reasons I moved here. The weather is incredible. And so I love going hiking. Awesome. And what's the first thing you do when you start your work day? First thing I do when I start my work day is uh, go on a walk, usually. So <laughs> just, uh, and I like to end my work day that way as well, uh, just with like a 15, 20 minute walk to clear my head, get focused and uh, dive in. Cool. And what are three things you leave your house with always besides your phone and laptop? Let's see. I'm a minimalist, so I don't have many things. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I Nothing think, as good as a <laughs> Yeah. It's a phone, laptop, backpack, 
my dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's about it. I wear the same thing every day. So I'm a pretty simple guy. <laughs> Very cool. Um, Nick, where would you want to send people online? Maybe if you want to check your help scout or just to find you online, where would you want to send uh, people for listening in? Yeah, I'm at Nick Francis on Twitter. And you can also just email me, nick at helpscout.com. I get emails from uh, strangers all the time and it's great. And uh, yeah, visit helpscout.com uh, to learn more about our product. But I really want to promote Help You, which is, uh, it's, so it's just helpscout.com forward slash help you. Uh, really great resource for customer service professionals and also entrepreneurs that, that are just trying to build a customer centric business. So just got some phenomenal resources there. I always try to promote it because uh, I, I really lo love what the team has built there. I, I actually wasn't really a part of it, so they get all the credit, but uh, it's a really, really great program there. It's all free. Sounds awesome. Nick, thank you very much for coming to the show today. I really, really enjoyed uh, talking to you and thanks for taking your time. Yeah, it was a pleasure. small quest before you leave so if you enjoyed the show we would really appreciate to receive a five star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app that can really help and we also would love to hear any feedback which you have anything else you want us to ask anyone coming to the show anything you want to change improve add or something you like really any feedback we really, really appreciate it